What's up? Well, that's good, fam. Happy Wednesday, everybody. I hope you're having a great week. Per usual, get ready because it's about to get so much better. Y'all, I'm so excited for the guest that we have on today's podcast. He is no stranger to most of you listening. If you haven't heard of JP Pakuda, get ready because you are about, if you could go on a whole search, you could read so many books after this, you could watch so many YouTube sermons after this, and you will be so blessed by the ministry he puts out. His new book is called Why Do I Do What I Don't Want to Do? Y'all, how relatable is that? I can't wait to talk to him about this book, this idea, and just hear more about his life. He actually was already on the Well That's Good podcast, but my husband got to interview him, which I was like, no fair. So here I am with him back on the podcast with a new book, and I'm so excited. JP, welcome to Well That's Good. Sadie, you're so awesome at that. That's the best <laughs> intro of any podcast I've ever been on before in my life. Wow, awesome. what a compliment. Thank well, you. I have to say, you know, I listened to your podcast this week, and I don't know if that intro was better than the intro that y'all had on the Guard Your Heart podcast. Oh, let's go. When your friend straight up attacked you. And yeah. I love your quote. You said, I think this is the worst intro of any podcast of the history of podcasts. That's exactly. And so, and yours was the best. Mine was the worst. That's that's exactly how these things are going down in the kingdom. Oh my gosh, whatever. I have to say though, truly, your podcast is awesome. So many of my it. friends listen to it when, whenever my team, you know, found out I was having you on the podcast today. So many of them were like, we love his podcast. So uh, thank you, your ministry is touching so many people and uh, yeah. we're grateful for that. Um, before we started recording, we were talking about Asbury revival. Yeah. And I just want to bring that up because I know so many people are interested and invested in what's happening there. And you actually got to go sit in the room. And so tell us a yeah. little bit about what's happening around the world. Yeah. You know, my friend tells this story of uh, going through Iceland and there's this there's this town uh, and it's a ghost town. And there's you see all of these empty buildings uh, because uh, once upon a time, the the herring uh, fish that I don't know much about, but would come through there, and there was this amazing, you know, commerce and and industry that was born out of this. And people moved there, and they set up shop, and there were companies and and organizations. And then one day, the fish just left. <laughs> like they stopped moving, they stopped swimming near that place. And then, uh, as the years went by, the entire um, you know, the entire city and town shut down. And so I think what we saw at Asbury is just there's this outpouring of the Spirit in a place. And we know that God is everywhere. He's omnipresent, but sometimes He he works in unique spaces and in unique times. And so uh, as we, I was in Nashville, I was like, hey, I, I wasn't me, actually. The guy I was with said, hey, we should go there. And at first I was like, you know what? The Spirit of God is everywhere. Let's pray that what's happening there would happen in Waco. We don't need to go there. But I took a nap and I woke up from the nap and I thought, you know what, let's do it. And so we got in the car, we drove four miles, uh, four miles, four hours north. Uh, we went to the university there in Wilmer, Kentucky. And uh, as we got inside, like I would just say, yes, I mean, the Spirit of God is working through Generation Z. And it was, it was no lasers, no lights, no, you know, amazing worship. There was worship and it was amazing, but not in the typical sense that we think about that. Uh, like you and I have experienced somewhere like passion, those kinds of plays. It was just different. And not that there's anything wrong with that contrast. It just, the, it, it's like the Holy Spirit to say, hey, the 
for such a time as this, hmm. uh, there's just going to be this organic grassroots movement. That's and then cool. as we left there, we stopped at Lee University on the way down. And I just, I, I pray by the time that your listeners are hearing this, that it's, it's flooding our country and we're yep. seeing it on universities. And anyone who's Generation Z right now, I, I would tell you that for whatever reason, the herring are swimming through you know, your, your generation. The Spirit That's of cool. God is moving through your generation. And so avail yourself to Him and say, God, what do you want me to do? What does faithfulness look like for me? And let's see what he's up to. It's good. Gosh, that's so good. I love that so much. And I feel like a lot of people have that same mentality as you. They're like, well, I want it to happen in Waco. So so why would I go? I want it to happen here. And I think it's cool that you got to experience it and, and see it, but also still believing that it will happen in sure. Waco and seeing what happens where, where we are planted. And so I think that's a great um great call and it makes you excited because it's like, man, this one's not ending. It's actually just starting what's going what God's going to do. And so that's awesome. Um, You obviously have a huge heart for Gen Z and this whole age group. And I'm, for one, so appreciative of that. I remember, so Christian and I are on the passion team where we just help cast vision for the conference. And um, I remember it was about a year, maybe two years ago, when we were talking to Lou and Shelley and they were like, okay, who do y'all think should speak? And we were like, well, everybody is listening to JP. JP is mm-hmm. who is really pouring into this, this age group right now. And we're so grateful for his voice. And, um, and we, I truly mean that. Like you're the Thank first you, person friend. we thought of because you are who people are listening to, especially young people. What, um, where does that heart come for, from, for people our age? Well, first of all, thank you. That, that's that's super kind. I always wondered how I got there, so now I know, and that's helpful. <laughs> hey, man. they love thank you too, you so but much. me and Christian no. were like, he's awesome. Thank you, friend. I, I, here's the deal, Sadie. I have a heart, a huge heart for the church, the bride of Jesus, and and I would just tell leaders of churches, if 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 you're listening, or you know, maybe you can share this with with the leader of your church. If you're not reaching the future of your church, your church has no future. And so this this thing called discipleship, it's Jesus's model. It's one generation, you know, consistently and constantly throughout generations looking back and saying, hey, let me raise you up. Let me pour into you. Let me invest in you at an inconvenience to me. Let me share all of the resources that God has entrusted to me with you so that you would know my God. You see this in Deuteronomy 6 mm. when 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 there's a, a turnover in generations and, and one is going into the promised land and the other isn't. And it's like, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And, and you're, you're passing on from generation to generation. This is who God is. You know, write it on your forehead, bound it to yourselves, meditate it wow. when you sit, when you stand, when you wake up, when you go to bed, when you walk on the path, in your homes, around your tables, continue to reflect on who God is. And so this is the model that Jesus gave us. Like, I mean, in Matthew 16, when he's raising up uh, the the apostles, he's calling the apostles and he's saying, hey, I'm going to build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And and who did Jesus use? He could have used the elderly and he could have used toddlers, but he chose young adults. You know, he chose these people around 18, you know, 18, 25 years old and said, hey, let's go build this movement. And they had to be really confused. They're like, Jesus, what are you talking about this, this assembly? But lo and behold, it's one of my favorite prophecies in the scripture because, you know, this Sunday uh, over a billion people are going to gather in his name. And, uh, and it started with those 12 on the side of a hill. Wow. That is cool. That's super cool. I love that so much. 
spring is a great time to start something new, right? So whether it's cleaning or a new hobby or a new audiobook, a good story is always a great way to start a new journey and Audible has all that you need. I come from a family of great storytellers, so I know Audible is the home of storytelling, which is where I want to be. Audible lets you enjoy all your favorite audio entertainment together in one app. There's always something new to discover or you can rediscover some of your old favorites. Audible has an incredible selection of audiobooks from every genre like bestsellers, new releases, memoirs, mysteries and thrillers, business and more. It is the destination for mind-blowing entertainment with selections of mystery and thrillers that will keep your heart racing. And with next listen recommendations, there's always something irresistible at your fingertips. Plus, members get full access to a huge and growing selection of included audiobooks and Audible originals and even podcasts like, well, that's good. So you can download them or stream them anytime, anywhere. Audible members can also pick one title each month to keep from the entire catalog, which is some serious benefits, y'all. The newly included selection of titles makes your Audible membership even more valuable and gives you the chance to discover your next favorite thing. With thousands of titles available, you're definitely going to find something that you love all in one convenient app. So I know some of you are into, you know, thrillers, crime, mystery. And I got to be honest, that's not really been my thing. So I told Bella, okay, Bella, tell me what I could like listen to that wouldn't scare me, but I would like be into it. And she told me about this title called The Last Thing He Told Me by Laura Dave. And so I started it and John Luke loved it too. And so I'm just now on the cusp of it. And y'all, let me tell you, it is very entertaining. You do want to listen to see what happened next. So if y'all are into that, Audible is a great place to find those too. New members can try Audible now for free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash Woe or just text Woe to 500 500. That's audible, A U D I B L E dot com slash Woe or text Woe to 500 500 to try Audible for free for 30 days. Well, I'm so excited to dive into just more of your life and also this book. And some of the things I might ask might be repetitive to whenever you were on the podcast the first time about your story. But I feel like for those who are listening, we've grown a lot in audience since then. So not everybody might know your story. And this book is such a call to holiness. It's a call to um, righteous living. And, you know, for people who listen to you talk and you love the word and you're so well-spoken and have written this book, they might not know the backstory of your life and what you're coming from. So I want to make sure people know where you're coming from. And your story is so uh, interesting. I want to hear about when you got to college and all of a sudden all this freedom was open to you. It kind of sounds like one night you're introduced to a keg stand and the next day it's like downhill from there. And so tell us a little bit about that time of your life and what that looked like. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for saying that. Uh, and I do. I want if if you read, why do I do what I don't want to do? And you think, oh man, this is just another pastor who grew up in the church and won the Sunday school award. You know that that's not the case. And uh, I really think there is this flooding of lukewarm Christianity that an entire generation is tired of. And so this is for someone who wants to grow as a disciple. For me, I was raised in a small town, South Texas, 6,000 people in the middle of nowhere. I was raised on a farm, 20 acres, you know, mom and dad. I was, I was Catholic. I went to Catholic school for nine years. But then when I went to high school, 
I was, I was, you know, total identity crisis. And so like just this flood of hormones and confusion and couldn't find my click, my people. And I would, I would try with the, you know, the, the 4-H and FFA, the agricultural program. I showed <laughs> hogs, chickens, rabbits, goats, sheep, you know, but I also drove this 1979 Mercedes Benz with hydraulics that super yes. fly on the back. <laughs> I had both ears pierced, first tattoo at 14, you know, and, and I just, I, I was, I was confused and I was, and I couldn't find a place to fit in. And I really just invited all of this sin in my life. I started partying in high school, drinking, you know, pastor parties, those kinds of things. And I, I got my act together enough my senior year to graduate. And at this time I'm going to church, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just daydreaming for an hour on Sunday. I'm going to, to youth group, but it's really just a time to, to be around girls that I'm interested in, those kinds of things. And I, and I, I, my mom says, Hey, you can go away for, or you can go away for two years or you can stay here for four years. That's what we'll pay for. And I said, well, I want to go away. And she, she kind of turned me onto this, uh, technical college where I would go and study art because school wasn't really my thing. I just didn't do well there. You know, I love school, but the classes got in the way. <laughs> and so I go to this two-year college and I, I cram four years of partying into two years because I have all of the freedom that college offers you, but none of the responsibility and maturity to go with that freedom. Yeah. And so it, it looks in that first couple weeks, you know, I did things that I promised that I would never do. You know, I had gone through in, in youth group at the time, it was like true love weights and those kinds, I had the ring and those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And and now I'm just, you know, they say drug, sex and rock and roll. And in my case, it was like drug, sex and hip hop. And I just... <laughs> I'm just looking for the next party, looking for, you know, the, the partying people, the group to hang out with. And, um, and I, and my, my worldview of God at the time was he's like this sheriff in the sky that just wants to get me if I do something wrong. Yeah. So I'm like, well, I don't want anything to do with that God. Uh, and so I kind of ran from him. Well, I graduated somehow, some way I moved to Dallas. I get in the corporate world and, and I'm, and I start making money and I'm really kind of everything wrong with Dallas and a person because I'm, <laughs> I'm just living for the, the, the club scene. You know, we have the penthouse condo, I'm driving a Jaguar, different suits every day of the week. And, uh, and I'm at this club one Saturday night and someone invited me to church the next day. I just said, Hey, what are you doing this weekend? They said, I'm going to go check out this church. I said, great, pick me up, you know? And I went and I was hung over. I had a headache from the night before. I smelled like smoke, you know, still from the club. And I just started wrestling. What do I believe is true about God? Like I always said that I believed in God, but if I was born in Iran, I'd be Hindu. If I was born in China, I'd be Buddhist. If I was born in Iran, I'd be, I mean, uh, uh, Iran, I'd be Muslim, sorry. If I was yeah. born in India, I'd be Hindu. If I was born in Israel, I might be Jewish. What are the odds that I'd be born to the right country and the right faith and the right family? And so as I began to look at world religions, I, it was kind of, it was deconstruction was, was the word that was happening. I didn't have that word at the time, but I kept tripping over Jesus Christ. And that 2,023 years ago, this man reset the calendar. Like we started counting over wow, from the day yeah. he was born. Yeah. And he was born in this town called Bethlehem, which is a town no one would have ever heard about except he was born there. And he lived in another city called Nazareth, which is a city that no one would know of and no one here in America would know of except he lived there. I mean, there's there's cities wow. between Bethlehem and Nazareth that are much bigger than Bethlehem and Nazareth that we've never heard of because Jesus didn't live there. Yeah. And, and he was a carpenter and he became the single most polarizing character in the history of history. And I was like, how did that happen? 
And I realized it's because he died and he came back to life. Yep. And and now I'm seeing that crucifix, you know, in a whole new light. I'm like, oh, that was a payment because hmm. I'm because I am an alcoholic, a drug user. Uh, I am a a, a a porn addict. Like all of these, I'm materialistic, narcissistic, all of these things, these labels that I was like, oh, that was a payment for those things. I don't have to be stuck in those things. My freedom has been purchased through Christ and I can be with God forever because of what he's done for me in Jesus. And and I trusted in that. And then everything in my life began to change from that moment forward. Dang, that's a dang, that's good moment. That that exceeds no. the woe. That's so good. That's um, yeah. an amazing testimony. And so after that, you, you go to church, you start to have all these thoughts and all these questions with God. And then what led you from that point to now being a pastor? Like, did yeah. you ever think from that point that you'd actually go all the way to being no. a pastor and a leader <laughs> in that context? No, never. I mean, looking looking back, I see these Easter eggs that God placed in my story, but um, but I I I wanted to be you know um, a business owner. <laughs> you know, I didn't want to be a pastor, and so I I got plugged into a church, and that's why I'm so passionate about the next generation belonging to a church, a local expression of a church, not the not the buffet of of podcast churches. You know, not right. listening to this one and this one, but but being there and serving there and under authority there. Because I went to a membership class and in the, at the membership class, my friend, it wasn't even me, my friend said to the guy that was leading the class, hey, we're looking for someone to teach us the Bible. And he said, I'll teach you the Bible. And we sat down at this round table and we, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it was like mm-hmm. Genesis 1-2, Genesis 1-3. And we just started going through the Bible and, and did that for five years. And five years in, I'm sitting at my desk at AT&T and the Lord says, you're going to come work for me. And I'm not a, I'm not a huge, like God said guy, but there has been times in my life where God just said, yeah. and he said, you're going to come work for me. And I didn't know what that meant. I thought I'm going to raise money and give it away and work with business <laughs> relationships. Never considered the church. Wow. <laughs> and so I go home and I'm like, I'm like, okay, I'm going to hire an attorney. And I, I invite my friend over because I'm like, this is crazy, man. I think I just was called in the ministry of some <laughs> sorts. And he's like, hey, you've been growing. I get it. And, I, and I'm going to hire an attorney and he goes, whoa, 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 why don't you pray about it? And I'm like, oh, that's good advice. I'll pray about it. So I, he was like, if this is God, he's going to show you what he has. And so I pray for five days. God, put me where you want me. Help me find contentment there. Put me where you want me. Help me find contentment there. And on the fifth day, I'm walking through the foyer of AT&T and uh, a, a friend from that church calls a, a pastor and he goes, hey, I have a job I want you to consider. And I was like, oh, I'll serve anywhere. Tell me where to be. He's like, no, no, like a job, like an interview. And I'm like, wait, oh, interview where? And he's like, the church. And I was like, oh, this is JP. And he goes, I know. I'm praying over this job description and I think you're the guy. Wow. And I'm like, what? Did you know five days ago? He's like, I had no idea. Wow. And I'm like, oh my goodness. And so, you know, God was just so big in my life in that moment. And I cried and, uh, you know, and then I was was slow to be obedient because I was scared because it was a big financial shift for us. We were dual income, no kids, and we were kind of moving to being a single income with a child. And, and you know, I was, you know, Monica married a sales guy, a, a, a successful business developer. And here I am. I'm like, hey, I think I'm going to go be a pastor. And it wasn't <laughs> like they were asking me to speak, by the way. They were like, hey, will you set out chairs and like help small groups? Yep. And so, 
Yeah. So that's what happened. That's awesome, man. I loved your story in the book about the the gym guy, like the chairs. You're talking about how like everybody yeah. has to pick yeah. up chairs if you're serving in ministry. Yeah. And I was like, man, that would be Christian for sure. Well, oh, yeah. definitely trying to oh, get too many chairs than he probably big, should. But that, oh yeah, for sure. But no, that that actually leads me into something that I think is really cool about the book is you have all these vices and virtues. You have all these sins that we struggle with, and then kind of ways to get out of that sin with biblical instruction and and these life-giving virtues. But I love how, you know, you're so open about your backstory. And it is, um, I guess, a, a dramatic story with drugs and alcohol and pornography and sex and all of these things. And I love that you don't just say, oh, that was a bad life. You're like, actually, no, there are other sins that hit me along the way that are still yeah. going to hit me, like pride and yeah. things that we don't necessarily put as much weight on. But those things are just as deadly, if you will. Those sure, things are, absolutely. and they're sneakier, actually, because oh, yeah. you might not see that you have them. And I love how you start to talk about pride in the book, and you talk about how after you get past all this, you start walking through pride and how pride actually leads to anxiety. And that, yeah. when I read that, I was like, man, that's such a good thing to note, because I don't think, I think so many people are walking around with anxiety, and they don't know where it's coming from. And right. I think a root of that a lot of times is pride. So can that's you right. speak to that a little bit and what that looks like in that time of your life? Yeah, and I just I want to highlight that you said a lot of times. And so as we talk about anxiety, uh, sometimes people are really offended because of these blanket statements and generalizations. And so uh, we understand that everyone's situation with their mental health is unique to them. Mm -hmm. But there's also patterns that we can recognize that might be helpful to some people and maybe even most people. Yeah. And if it's not helpful to you, that that's fine to say, oh, that's I, I may be an exception to the very thing that they're talking about, but. Uh, I, I would say like for me, my anxiety and I did have severe anxiety, panic attacks, couldn't sleep. Yep. Uh, the, the whole, it felt like I was running a hundred miles an hour and I ran right into a brick wall. I ended up in the hospital and in the hospital, my heart was skipping beats. Hmm. And I was like, I, I remember, you know, turning to the, to the doctor in the ER and I'm like, you know, she said, Hey, you have PVCs and PACs, premature ventricular contractions and premature atricular contractions. And I said, I feel that in my chest. I said, can you fix it? And she said, no, but mm. you can. Wow. And I, and I said, well, how? And, and she said, do a whole lot less than what you're doing. And she's just like, you're carrying too many chairs. You know, she didn't say that, but, but right. as the, the metaphor in the book, you're, you're carrying too much. And, and so you're, what, what God did in, in his kindness and mercy to me is, is everyone my whole life said, oh, you're so high capacity. You're so high capacity. You're so high capacity. You can carry so much. And in that moment, he just cut my capacity in, into a fraction. And I, I could carry so much. And, and what does that do when somebody says, oh, you're so high capacity? It's like, just feed your ego, feed right, your pride. Right. And I had told Sadie, I, 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 mean, I don't know that I've shared this story on a podcast, but I had told my small group of guys like weeks before that, I said, hey, I sense some spiritual arrogance in my life. I, I, um, you know, I just got a book deal and I, I was speaking places and, and I said, I just feel myself growing spiritually arrogant. And I sense that God needs to wrestle me like Jacob hmm. and knock my hip out of socket. So they started praying at 1109 because my birthday is November 9th. They started praying at 1109, wow. uh, Jacob's hip for me. And two weeks later, my heart starts skipping beats and I hit this wall at a hundred miles an hour <laughs> oh my gosh. and I'm in the hospital, you know? 
And uh, and so be careful. Be careful, <laughs> be careful what you pray, what you pray for. for, man. And uh, and crazy. so that was that was pride, you know, leading to in my life anxiety. And so that's an example yeah. uh, of what that can look like. Is is when we start to operate outside of the power of Christ in Colossians, He says, "I strenuously contend with all His power at work in me." When we're doing it in our own strength, man, it is a ticking time bomb. Yeah. Just wait, because that that everything coming crashing down is is what's yep. in front of you. It's true, man. When I think about my anxiety, because I used to have really bad anxiety, panic attacks, the whole thing, really similar to yours. I actually have uh, a heart. My heart skips a beat as well. And what? Yes. And I have gone to the hospital. Like, what? Yes. Emergency room. Like Your story was so similar to mine. I actually used to, I would, when my heart would start skipping a beat, I would just go to the emergency room and drive around the parking lot until I would calm myself down because I got to the point where I knew it was anxiety. But yeah. I and I knew that was probably what they would tell me. But yeah. I needed to like be close enough to yeah. where I could just like work it out. And so a very, very similar. But mine came from really just living a double life. I was trying to keep up with such a double life. And I was um I think the world looked at me as one way, but I knew I was not really living that. That way and I was had a lot of secret things hidden and yeah. it wasn't really until I started um, walking in the light actually um, yeah. confessing sin and stop living this double life that I began to not feel as anxious you know and Man. not having to keep up with these two sides and so I, I do think that yes everybody's is different and it comes from different mm. places and mm. for some they just have, you know, some chemical things. But I think for, for me, yeah. I can definitely pinpoint it to some some yeah. uh, underlying roots of sin for in my yeah. life. And so your yeah. story was super Gosh, relatable. Can we talk about that for just a second? Because I really sense in this generation that's rising that they are done with perception management. Like they yeah. are done with playing games and hiding sin. And I just, I want you to, what, what you just did, Sadie, and what I'm trying to do is to give you permission to not hide your sin. Yeah. And the, the proverb says, you know, if you conceal your sin, you will not prosper. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and that, that we are to continue, we're to confess our sin, forsake our sin. You have First John 1, you have James five sixteen. confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed for the prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. And, and so if there's anything that you're hiding, get a couple believers and bring it to the light. And and what's going to happen in the same way that Sadie and I just shared our stories and those stories that we shared briefly, they were not always that easy to share. Mm-hmm. Like there was once upon a time where my heart would start skipping beats at just the thought of having to say that out loud <laughs> because so it was so, so vulnerable and, and just such a soft spot in my life. But there's this verse I've never noticed, and and um, a mutual friend of ours turned me on to it. It's in Revelation 12, and it says, The devil is trampled over by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Yeah. And so if I am Satan and the, the little G God of this world and the prince of the air, as the scripture calls him, uh, I'm going to do everything I can to keep you from sharing your story. Because if you share your story, it's it's a it's a battle strategy to defeating me. Mm-hmm. And I just saw that so plainly in the scripture for the first time. And I was like, man, I experienced that. And I've seen wow. other people experience that. But I just want to call an entire generation to turn your struggles into your story, uh, to good. turn your mess into your message and even your ministry and let God use it. 
It's good. Gosh, I love that so much. When I was thinking about just confession and stuff and how important that is. And then sometimes, you know, it's more private confession with a friend. And then sometimes it is, you know, more of a public confession. Uh, For me, what that looks like in my life, um, you know, at that time in my life, I remember, and I'm just going to give a like very... um, I guess, honest example, because I do think that this is a really common thing that people go through. I was in a relationship for a while, and it was not a healthy relationship, but we were literally Instagram goals, and that was whenever Instagram goals was actually a thing, and everybody's hashtagging goals and this and that, and we just fed into it, but that was like not our life at all, and I remember one day, I kind of like saw it for what it was, and um I was doing this thing and it was really exciting. It was uh, like a big deal publicly. And behind the scenes, the guy that I was dating was just not even talking to me that day. He was not, um, he wouldn't talk to me. He was just kind of jealous of of what I was doing and ended up sending some really hateful texts to me right before I did it. And I was crying before I went on stage and it was like this whole thing. Well, that night, I like we never made up. It was like he was mad. He said rude things. I cried. We didn't talk. And that night I get a tagged post from him. And I'm like, no way. If he said something about this, I'm going to be so mad. And I get on Instagram. It's like, I'm so proud of this girl. And look how awesome she is. And Mm. I was just like, oh, my gosh. And the reality is, like, that had been going on for a long time. That was just the night that I finally, like, realized this is how much of a lie we're living. And people think we're goals when in all reality, this is miserable. You know, this is no way to live. And I'm, I'm just as guilty as he was in just that relationship of not... Um, not living at all the way that God had for us to live. But anyways, I said to say like, that's where we were at. And there's so many tears behind the scenes and so many smiles in front of other people. And so, you know, at first what that looks like is getting out of that relationship and confessing to my close friends and family just how bad it was and um, some of the things that I had walked through. But then later, I really felt like I needed to like publicly kind of share some of that reality because I felt like I had led so many people um, with just a false perspective. And so I ended up uh, posting like this YouTube video and then I posted a um, blog. It was my like my first blog I ever wrote. And um, man, it was just so good for me to just kind of walk in the light of that. And one time I asked Kristen Kane, I was like, you know, I feel like we're kind of uh, overshares as a generation sometimes, like we share too much on Instagram, or maybe we that should be privately said. And she said, I feel like, Sadie, a good kind of um, guideline, I guess, to know when it's good to post something and when it might be too much is, you know, when it becomes your testimony, then it's time to share. And I thought that was such a good way of looking at it, that when it's a testimony, then publicly share it, you know? So I needed to walk through some of that privately first with my friends and my family and actually get healthy myself. Then when it's a testimony, man, that's when you start sharing. And you're so right, the enemy just loses its power. And those things that I thought, if people know this, it will disqualify me. If people know this, they will not look at me saying, how can they trust me? things but it's actually what i found is what gained people's trust in me and actually what people begin to love about um the way that i communicated is that i was honest and i was like hey this is the reality of what i'm walking in and so i'm glad that that we brought that up because i know that so many people especially with social media it's easy to live a double life it's easy to put out a persona of what you want people to think about you but it is a really empty way of living and i experienced that firsthand 
Sadie, that's so powerful. And and so there's somebody listening right now and you're in a relationship that you know is not godly and you know that it needs to end and and you God in his kindness is using Sadie's story to embolden you and to encourage you to literally place courage in you yep. to do the next right thing. Yep. And then there's other people that maybe it's not a relationship, but you know that there's sin that's hidden. Like, you know, that if there's, there's pornography that you feel like you can't talk to, or like a dog to his vomit, the, the Proverbs say you, you've continued to go back to something that's toxic. And maybe it's, it's, it's self-righteousness. Maybe it's, it's a vengeful heart. You know, maybe it's legalism, and there's this, there's in, in Acts and the church is building in Acts. And so like, as you turn the page from Acts chapter two to Acts chapter three to Acts chapter four, there is so much momentum. 5,000 people are saved. 3,000 people yep. are saved. 4,000 people <laughs> are saved. And it's just like, they preach the gospel and these people get saved. And the church is just building and building and building and building and building. And you get to Acts chapter five and it's like someone pulls the parking brake and there's this this couple, Ananias and Sapphira. And what had just happened is Barnabas had sold the field and made some money and he laid the money at the apostles' feet for the church. And they saw him get these accolades of kindness and applause and 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 they said, Well, we want to do that. And so they sell a field and they take the money and they make it look like they're bringing the money to the church, but they actually keep some for themselves. And, and they lie out of a desire to manage perception. They want people to think much of them while they're actually living a double life. Mm. And the church stops and these they die. It's the craziest thing. They <laughs> die crazy. right there. They fall yep. over dead. And I don't, I'm not trying to fear monger. I'm not, I'm not saying that you're, you know, somebody who's listening is going to fall over dead. I am saying that God is trying to tell us something as he's building his church that I'm, I will not build it on inauthenticity. Yeah. I will not build it on perception management. I will not build it on hidden sin. I will build it on what is true, what is right, what is pure, what is noble, what is excellent, praiseworthy, and admirable. Yeah. And so we must be those things. And, and, and it, every one of us has the ability to be honest and transparent, as you just modeled so well for so us. So true. Gosh, I love that. I read this leadership book one time, and it was one of my favorite um, like practices, and it just has really stuck with me. It was probably six years ago, five, six years ago, that I read it. But I always think about it because she had this um, all these words laid out. It was about 50 words. It was great words. All of them were good. And she said, I want you to pick 10 um, that you want to live by. So I picked my 10. It was rather easy. And then she goes, okay, now I want you to pick five was a little bit harder. And then she said, now I want you to pick two because you're really only going to remember two. And I picked two and my two words. And I mean, I really thought about it. I was like, God, like, what do I want to live by? Like, what do I want people to, you know, when they see what I'm putting out, this is kind of a banner over it. And my two words were faith and authenticity. And I mean, I really look at my life over the past however many years, and it has been a guideline for how I want to live and what I want to put out. If it doesn't fall under that banner of faith and authenticity, then um, then it's not, not true to who I am, you know? And I feel like it actually having those two things at the forefront of my mind has helped 
steer what my yeses are, what my nos are, what what things I'm starting with in a low, what things I'm like, oh, okay, that's not really that necessary, you know? And so it is so cool to um, have that authenticity word at the forefront of my mind because I do want everything I do to be authentic. I think about that verse where it says the godly walk with integrity. Um, I'm like, I want to walk with integrity, with authenticity. When people see my life, whether they see me at the coffee shop or they see me at the church or they see me in my home, that it would always be a consistent theme, a consistent person. And so I love that we talked about that. You you mentioned something in the book where this is not, again, I love how you said, it's not that God's going to strike you down and you're going to die, but there is a reality to the fact that sin does lead to death, right? And I just preached this message. It's so cool that we're talking about this. And as I was reading through your book this morning, I was like, man, this is like exactly what I was just preaching on, but I should have read this because this is better. But it was, I was talking about how, you know, in the beginning, whenever the enemy's saying, you know, you will not surely die to Eve. Yeah. He's like, yeah. Yeah, it's not that bad. You're not going to die. But I was like asking the question, but, but will you, you know, but doesn't yeah. it all lead to death? And yeah. you have this quote in the book where you say to someone, like, are you carrying around what's killing you? And yeah. I thought that was just such a profound thing to ask yourself and uh, really sit with the reality of what you're carrying and what you're walking in and what you're continuing to uh, feed, if you will. And so can you talk about that idea yeah. of getting sure. rid of those things? Sure. Yeah. And so a lot of what I speak on is pornography and because of my own story and trying to help people break free from that. And so when I get done, p- people will line up and it's men and women uh, that, you know, one in every three viewers of pornography is uh, female. And I just read a stat yesterday that 87% of women in the church have viewed porn. And I'm like, man, I I can't, I can't clarify that stat. Mm. I can't go and research it and, and you know, uh, validate it. But I can tell you it was in print. And I was like, man, that's a big number. Wow. And and so um, what will happen is people will come up to me and they'll say, hey, my story is similar to yours. And I'll say, what do you mean? And they'll say, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with porn. And I go, oh, okay, you're, you're struggling with pornography. Uh, you know, how do you, when's the last time you access it? And they they say, well, you know, like last week or yesterday or this morning, or, and they'll say a time. And I'll say, well, how do you access it? And they say, my phone. And I'll say, okay, where is your phone right now? And they'll say, in my pocket. And I'll say, oh, I thought you said you were struggling. And they say, well, I am. I'm struggling. And I go, I don't know that you've even begun to struggle because mm. you're not struggling with porn. You're carrying it around with you in your pocket. Wow. It's going with you everywhere you go. Like in your pocket right now, you have a gateway to every wicked and vile image that you don't want to look at. And they're like, well, what am I supposed to do? Get rid of my phone. And I'm like, well, in one word, sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's not, you know, Jesus jumps to in Matthew 5, gouge out your eye and cut off your hand. And so in the same way that it's like, hey, he may not kill you in like Acts 5, he may not ask you to gouge out your eye and cut off your hand in a literal sense. I do think he's speaking hyperbolically there. But I do to make the point of, yeah, sure, get rid of your phone or get a flip phone, you know, or or get, you know, a, a, a software on your phone that will prevent you uh, from 
you know, it just being so easy. Now you can imagine, you can switch out the sin if it's materialism, you know, where's your credit card? Oh, it's in my pocket. Okay. Well, where, yeah, where's your, yeah. where's your Amazon account? Oh, yeah. it's in your pocket. And so whatever the struggle is, you can kind of identify what, how do I, how do I access it? And what does it look like for me to remove access to it? And so that's the thought behind that idea. That was so good. I love that so much because it's true. So many times we're like, oh, I can't stop, you know, doing this. And it's like, well, what are you doing to feed that? Is it literally right. in your pocket? Is it right yeah. in front of you? Or have you done anything to try to remove it? Um, I mean, it's the same thing with like the shows that we watch and the music we listen to. And like I mentioned, I listened to your Guard Your Heart podcast. And I love how you gave credit to old grandma for the garbage in, garbage out sure. statement. Because it sounds, you know, like something that your grandma says and not very cool. But actually, that's a great thing to live by. <laughs> like sure. that is true. What you put in will come out. What you put in does affect you. Um, yeah. Next thing, you know, we talk about, you talk about that I want to touch on is how everything does really start with a thought. And um, you talk about renewing your mind, but I love how even in the introduction, you talk about how renewing your mind, you know, Paul says it, but there's actually like science behind that you literally can renew your mind. And I thought that was really hopeful. And so speak to that for a bit, but for people who are sitting there and they're like, I'm literally stuck in the process, like stuck in the patterns of my mind and they're sinful and they're toxic. And how do I stop thinking about these things? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, when I was on the podcast with Christian, you you in saying, "Hey, what's the best advice you've ever been given?" And what I said then was, "You know, pay attention to what you pay attention to, because thoughts take you places." Hmm. And if if twenty years ago you would have went to a psychiatrist for um, anxiety or depression, you would most certainly would have left. You pr- most likely would have left with a a prescription to an SSRI, a, ser- a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor, uh, which which can be a helpful medication to some, and I'm not a doctor and I'm not here to give medical advice. But what I see more and more common is people are leaving a therapist's office with um, you know, some sort of prescription of a practice, a therapy, a way of thinking. There's something out there called cognitive behavioral th- uh, therapy, which is really, you know, if we were to boil it down, it, it's meditation. And as a Christian, you might even call it prayer it's just sitting still and holding thoughts in your minds for for uh, a, a period of time or breathing in, you know, uh, trust in the Lord with all your heart and breathing out, lean not on your own understanding or, um, uh, you know, uh, he is my shepherd, I shall not want, you know, th- those kinds of things, just reflecting on those ideas. And one of the greatest modern psychiatric discoveries is something called neuroplasticity, which is for a long time, they thought if our brain was damaged, it cannot heal. If our thinking is damaged, it cannot heal. But what we're seeing or what they're discovering, not me, but what they're discovering is that the brain actually can heal hmm. and that your thought patterns are are most often a pathway of healing your brain. And so as you think, man, I don't know, I can't stop thinking this. Um, it, it's It's better to start, I can stop thinking this. I can take these thoughts captive. It is going to be work and it is going to be a practice. And it doesn't mean that you shouldn't get help. It doesn't mean you shouldn't see a psychiatrist, a therapist, or a counselor. 
Uh, What I'm just saying is what I'm seeing more and more as a pastor is people are leaving those offices with with a a practice Mm -hmm. that looks a lot like prayer and meditation. And so I'm not saying even pray the anxiety away, which we should. We should work to pray it away. But I am saying the action of prayer is actually a step toward healing in and of itself. That's good. That's so good. So I love the whole title of this book and the idea of this book. And you you write about how you could have chosen 50 different titles for this yeah. book because there's so many things that were relatable, but how your two-year-old or your toddler kind of gave you a, a good idea by a moment that you had. And I have an almost two-year-old in the house, Christian, yeah. I do. And this was so relatable yeah. to uh, our life right now. And so talk, tell me the story about the toddler moment because because I think that that's so relatable to what I watch Honey go through and also what I go through sometimes. That was such a good analogy. Yeah. Well, my friend Jenny actually came up with the title. So just to give her credit, (laughs) we we did wrestle with a a ton. But but what I learned from, you know, parenting toddlers is, I mean, kids, it, it, it seems like they will walk into a room and say, what is the dumbest thing that I can do right now? You know, <laughs> do I, do I want to take these crayons and, and draw a picture on the wall? Or, you know, do I want to, and the, the, the example Sadie's talking about is, is my son just had this cup of milk or juice or whatever it was, and he just lifted up, he looked at it, and then he just turned it upside down and just poured it out all over the table. And I'm just like, why would you do that? And he's like, I don't know. I don't know. And I think it's like, you know, God made us emotional beings, but a part of maturity is not doing whatever you feel like doing. It's not doing whatever you want to do. And in Romans 7, you see this wrestle. It's the most relatable chapter to me in the entire Bible because he just says, the good I want to do, I do not do, and the bad I don't want to do, this I keep on doing. Why do I do what I don't want to do? And it all culminates in crescendos at the gospel in Romans 8, 1, for there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And and I love just the just Paul's honesty. And, and what I found, Sadie, is we grew up for if if anyone listening grew up in church, the church is real big on the don'ts. You know, mm-hmm. don't do this, don't do this, don't watch R-rated movies, don't listen to this music, don't have sex until you're married, don't do this, don't do this, don't, 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 don't. And even when you grow up, still don't, still like, what are the rules? What are the rules? And those are the vices that we're trying to avoid. But what I found is that Jesus has come to give us life so that we might have it to the fullest, have it abundantly, John ten ten. And there's always a counterpart virtue that we can pursue. So rather than trying to kill pride, if we pursue humility and if we focus on what we should do rather than what not to do, we won't do what we're not to do and we will live the full life that Christ has for us. And so if if instead of, of greed, you know, I focus on generosity, if instead of entitlement, I focus on gratitude and I begin to to pursue the righteous life that God desires for me and pursue holiness as the scripture calls us to, that we're to be holy for he is holy. It's then I don't have to think so much, give so much of my mind and effort to the things that I'm trying to not do, yep. but I, I can walk in the fullness of grace. I can walk in the full, fullness of the life that Christ has for us. And I think there's so much freedom and joy and adventure and fun in that path. And so that's, 
that's the heart behind this it's book. It's good. It's so encouraging because it's it's true. It's just like tension of, you know, the world's giving you this message of like, do what you feel like doing. Whatever you feel like doing, do it. That's what you should do. It's like seeking pleasure, seeking thrill, seeking satisfaction, all these things. But of course, it comes up empty. Well, then there's this whole other side of like the church. It's like, don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. And so it can be really tempting where it's like, well, I can't do anything here. I can yeah. do everything here except for that's yeah. empty. And so it's so great to be like, hey, but don't miss what actually Jesus is saying, that there is a fullness to life. And it's not about what you can't do or what you are withheld from doing. It's actually look at what all the things that God offers you in the fullness of who he is and walking in the way, walking the truth, walking the life. So I love that you're highlighting those good things, that it's not just the vices, but it's the virtues. It's the life-giving thing on the other side of it, um, because that's when you're really going to start living um, living for the will of God for your life. I mean, Christian and I talked about this in dating. Like, Once we stop saying, like, oh, here's our boundaries and saying, actually, we just desire God's will for our life. Like, It's more than what we can't do. It's actually what we get to have in fullness if we wait. You know, Once you start thinking like that, man, it becomes such an easier way to live, you know? And yeah. so I love that. Uh, I will ask you, you know, you've already been asked what's the best piece of advice that you've ever been given. So, yeah. so I can't phrase it the same way, but the no, end of podcast. Can. You're welcome to. Okay, then I'll, I'll throw it right back at you. Normally okay. I give the second time guest a pass, but I feel no. like you got one uh, ready yeah. for us. And so give us the best piece of advice. Yeah, and you know, it, it, the best advice that I have to reflect on often is Matthew 6.33. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. And and here's how I'll say it in, in a pithy way. Everyone has a goal and you, you have your target set on something, whether it's to be rich or famous, successful, married, a certain number of kids, a certain kind of neighborhood, a certain life. Like everybody has something that they're shooting at. And in Christianity, it, it's hard to determine success. And I think the best word to, for us to set the crosshairs on, for us to aim for, for, for our lives, the trajectory of our lives to be centered towards is faithful. And so we have to define success as faithfulness. And so that's the best advice beside pay, pay attention to what you pay attention to. Uh, I would say, I would say determine success as faithfulness. That's so good. Gosh, I love that so much. And I just want to shout out how much scripture you have poured over us during this podcast. You know, for those mm. listening, so much of his advice has been straight from scripture. Every time I hit you with the question, it would be like, well, this scripture makes me think of what you're saying yeah. or the best piece. Like, well, it starts with the scripture. And, you know, truly, um, it's an inspiring thing to sit here and listen because I'm like, I hope that most of my advice is tied mm. to the truth, is tied yeah. to scripture. And I love that you go the step further of actually being able to quote it. And to be able to quote yeah. it, you got to know it. And so thank you for taking the time to know it and share it with us. And mm. uh, man, it makes me want to go dive into my Bible. I just had David Platt on recently and he at Passion, oh, you know, man. quoted sure. Romans yeah, 1 Romans. through 8. Yeah. And it has just made me want to dive in. Like, I want to know scripture like that. And, yeah. and you're someone like that too, where we watch you and we're like, man, I, I want to be like that. And so thanks for not only, um, you know, saying good things, but also just living a good life. We have a quote in our house that says, you know, your life preaches more than your words do. And yeah. uh, your life certainly does, which is saying a lot. And so yeah. again, we're grateful for you, JP. Everybody go out 
get this book. It is going to do incredible things for your life. Um, really just stepping into the fullness of what God has for you. And that's something that uh, I want everybody to experience. And I'm grateful that I got on the path myself. And yeah. I encourage all of you to as well. But JP, thanks again for hey, thank taking you so the much, time. Sir. Hey, awesome. I appreciate you so much. I'm so grateful for you and Christian and we pray for you often and thank you so much for having us on today. 